A Comedy of Terrors, written by Colin Brake, read by Rachel Sterling. Doctor, could you know I landed the TARDIS somewhere friendly for a change? said the handsome young Scot, dressed in a grey turtleneck and a tartan kilt. A much smaller elfin-faced girl with her dark hair in a neat bob stood beside him. Both had their hands held up in a gesture of surrender. A third figure stumbled through the doors of the TARDIS behind them to join them in the brightly lit spaceship corridor. He was a man of indeterminate age, in a battered frock coat and shapeless checkered trousers. Oh dear, the doctor muttered as soon as he saw what was going on. A uniformed official stood in their path, accompanied by a pair of armed guards whose weapons were pointed directly at them. The doctor copied his friends and raised his hands in the air, palms facing out. This is a secure area, stated the official. Who are you and how'd you get in here? A metallic badge on his chest labelled him Security Commander Barwell. Well, uh, Commander Barwell, the doctor began, thinking as fast as he could. As a matter of fact, we are with me, of course, said a new voice from further down the corridor. The guard stood aside as the speaker joined them. She was a tall humanoid with a wide face and a wide body to match. She wore a bright red jacket, yellow trousers and a blue and white striped shirt. Zoe thought she looked like someone who'd got dressed in the dark. Mrs. Bullins, Commander Barwell asked. They're obviously the actors I sent for from the agency, explained the woman, beaming. I see, madam, in that case we will bid you good day as we have duties to perform, replied the commander, and he left, taking the guards with him. I'm Billy Butlins, said the woman, firmly shaking hands with the doctor, Zoe and Jamie. No doubt you were told to report to me. You are the agency actors, I presume. I wasn't expecting you quite so soon, but it's no bad thing you are here. It'll give you more time to study the scripts. Agency actors? Scripts? said Jamie, looking confused. We prefer the term performers, the doctor said quickly, speaking over him. Excellent, the woman's smile widened. We are a small company and we all need to be multi-talented if we're to pull off this performance. Performance? Zoe looked equally puzzled. Didn't the agency tell you? In honour of the festive season, Mrs. Butlins continued, and to mark Princess Triana's visit to the planet Luxona, we will present Mr. William Shakespeare's classic pantomime, Much Ado About a Beanstalk. Then, as if to punctuate her grand announcement, she broke wind. Jamie wafted a hand in front of his nose as an awful smell filled the air. We can't wait, muttered the doctor, coughing slightly. Here are your scripts. Mrs. Butlins reached into a handbag and produced one for each of them. As she handed them out, she let off another foul-smelling trump. What's with all the farts? muttered Jamie. What's that? asked Mrs. Butlins sharply. Parts, Mrs. Butlins, the doctor interjected. My friend Jamie was wondering which parts he might get. You're professionals. I'm sure you can sort that out amongst yourselves. We'll rehearse when we reach Luxona said Mrs. Butlins, walking off. Jamie glared at the doctor. Actors, he complained. What have you got us into now, doctor? Well, Jamie, I'm not entirely sure, the doctor confessed. 
He rubbed his hands together, thinking carefully. But something doesn't smell right about Mrs. Butlins. <laughs> you can say that again, exclaimed Zoe with a giggle. Once inside the rooms that they had been assigned, the doctor used his sonic to access the ship's computer to find out where they were. The TARDIS had landed on board the Royal Space Cruiser Starlight, which was taking Princess Triana of the Ceta Federation and her stepmother, the Queen Regent, on an official Christmas visit to the planet Luxona. He couldn't spot anything obviously amiss, but there was something nagging him about the less-than-fragrant Mrs. Butlins, and the doctor wanted to know what it was. He decided to investigate. Meanwhile, Zoe decided to explore the ship and found her way to the observation gallery, a small room accessed by a staircase so steep that it was almost a ladder. It had a number of seats set out beneath a thick, transparent, domed ceiling through which the stars could be seen as the ship hurtled through interstellar space. Zoe always enjoyed such views. She liked the challenge of trying to calculate how many stars were visible and how far away they were from each other. One thing she regretted about travel by TARDIS was the lack of portholes. Beautiful, isn't it? said a voice behind her. Zoe turned and saw that she had been joined by a tall, elegant teenager in a regal blue gown with an ermine trim. She must be the princess who Mrs. Butlins mentioned, thought Zoe, quickly rising to her feet. Your Highness, she began, attempting a curtsy. Oh, please don't, said the princess. Just call me Triana. Zoe introduced herself, keeping to the actor cover story. To her dismay, the princess was fascinated. Zoe did her best to answer the princess's many questions in character. Within minutes, Zoe could tell that the princess was lonely and lacked friends her own age. Triana explained that she led a relatively solitary life, devoted to duty. Her mother had died in childbirth, and her father, King Erdegreth, had soon remarried. When Triana was five, her father was killed when he fell from his horse on a hunting trip, and his second wife, Lady Vaxine, had become Queen Regent. Since then, every waking moment had been spent preparing Triana for the day when she would become Queen, on her eighteenth birthday. "'And when do you turn eighteen? asked Zoe. "'That's just it. I had my eighteenth birthday six months ago.' Yet your stepmother still rules as Queen Regent. Triana nodded, the silver and gold coronet in her hair glistening as it caught the light. There has been a small technicality that has delayed my coronation. The Ceta Federation is a union of five planets across two neighbouring star systems, all under the rule of our family. I should have been born on my family's home planet of Ceta Major, she told Zoe. But my mother went into labour early, while she and my father were on Luxona dealing with a miners' strike. I need the official records of my birth from the hospital on Luxona to ratify my coronation. And that's what we are travelling to collect? Zoe asked. That, and, just as importantly, the other half of this. She showed Zoe a pendant that hung on a chain round her neck. Looking at it more closely... Zoe could see that the pendant was a bubble made of some kind of clear material that contained half of a silver ring. My father's royal seal, Triana explained. The ring has been handed down through the generations of my family. It is a symbol of our royal authority. But why is there only half of it? 
When I was born, my father ordered his ring to be cut in half, and had one half placed in this pendant as a gift to me, and his half in a matching pendant, which he wore from that day on until he died. I'm sorry, said Zoe. Don't be. I hardly knew him, and from what I've heard, I'm not sure I would have liked him. After the Luxonian Rebellion twenty-five years ago, he made them pay a terrible price. When, if, I become queen, I hope to make things better for the people of Luxona. So what happened to his pendant? It was lost when he died, but it's recently been found again and handed in to the authorities. The Luxonian people will present it to me as a Christmas gift. And after my coronation, I will lift the taxes that have forced them to ravage their beautiful planet through strip mining. Jamie had been given the task of spying on the Queen Regent. He had found her in the spaceship's main lounge. Taking a seat close to her position, Jamie pretended to read his script while listening carefully to what was being discussed. The Lady Vaccine was a tall, thin woman, dressed in a stylish but practical two-piece suit. She had watchful, deep blue eyes, thin lips and high cheekbones. One of her retinue, a terrified-looking man with sweat beading his forehead and a slight twitch in one eye, approached her nervously. Uh, my, my lady, began the man, there is news from Luxona. Vaccine fixed him with her steely gaze. What news? she asked. It's reported that the birth records and the other half of your late husband's ring have been mislaid, he stammered. Jamie felt sorry for the man. It was clear he was expecting the Queen Regent to be furious. To Jamie's surprise, however, Vaccine didn't seem particularly concerned. And, she said dismissively, unfortunately, ma'am, there are many on Luxona who remember the rule of your late husband with... <clears throat> little affection, continued the man. They may be behind this theft. There are many on Luxona who bear no love for us, Vaccine said simply. Indeed, they claim the mining operations ordered in the aftermath of the rebellion have taken a high toll on the Luxonian ecosystem. They paid the price for their disloyalty, said Vaccine coolly. For twenty years, the man added under his breath. Tell Commander Barwell to double his patrols and to be prepared for a hostile reception, ordered Vaccine, and have someone inform my stepdaughter that there might yet be a further delay before she can become queen. The messenger bowed formally, almost scraping his head on the floor before righting himself and hurrying away. Jamie watched him go before he realised with a shock that the Queen Regent was also now on her feet and walking directly towards him. Quickly, he turned his eyes to his script. Suddenly the pages were pulled out of his hand, turned upside down, then thrust back at him. I always find it easier to read when the words are the right way up, said Vaccine as she walked away. Don't you? The doctor had located Billy Butlin's cabin. Checking that he wasn't being watched, he used his sonic screwdriver to open the door, then slipped inside. He began to search the room, but had hardly started when suddenly the door flew open and the enormous bulk of the director filled the doorframe. Ah, oh, there you are, said the doctor, thinking on his feet. I wondered where you'd got to. How did you get in here? demanded Mrs. Butlin suspiciously. Oh, the, the door was open, 
replied the doctor. You must have left it ajar when you went out. Ignoring the frown that threatened to split Mrs. Butlin's forehead, the doctor went on. I wanted to speak to you about... The doctor racked his brains desperately. Then inspiration hit him. About the script! The script? It's a delight, exclaimed the doctor. I take it the adaptation is your own? Why, yes said Mrs. Butlins, clearly flattered. I know they say you can't improve on Shakespeare, but, like I said to young William once, there's always another draft to be had. You met Shakespeare, said the director, looking puzzled. Once or twice, the doctor replied. How exciting, Mrs. Butlins said, clearly impressed. Actually, I helped him out with some of his plays, said the doctor with mock modesty. Really? Which ones? Mrs. Butlins asked. The doctor feigned a poor memory. Well, there was that one oh, set in Scotland with the three witches. Macbeth! You must mean the tragedy of Macbeth! Yes, that's the one. The doctor looked carefully at Mrs. Butlins, a hint of triumph in his eyes. But we can't stand round chatting shop all day, can we? I've got lines to learn. See you later. With that, the doctor skipped round the bulky director and out of the door. As he left, he heard the unmistakable sound of more wind being broken. So I have to dress up as a boy, and you dress up as a woman? Zoe was finding it hard to get her head around the peculiar traditions of pantomime. Yes, Zoe, the doctor explained patiently. You play the principal boy. Traditionally, the lead male role in the panto is played by a female actor. But the dame is played by a man. Zoe said sceptically. Oh, yes, the dame is a very specific role in pantomime. Some of the finest comedians in theatrical history have played a dame, the doctor told his companions. Aye, well, you're always making us laugh, Jamie retorted. So I'm sure you'll make a great dame. And are you happy about your role, Jamie? asked Zoe, trying to stifle a grin. Unlike the Doctor and Zoe, Jamie was not enjoying being an actor. Changing the subject, he asked the others how they had got on with their investigations. The Doctor listed his suspicions about the mysterious Billy Butlins. Firstly, there was her name, which sounded suspiciously like a pseudonym. Secondly, there was her failure to react when the Doctor had talked about meeting a playwright who had lived over a thousand years in the past. And, finally... There was the matter of her saying the name of the Scottish play aloud. I don't understand, said Zoe. The doctor explained that, although over the centuries there were lots of things that became forgotten or confused about William Shakespeare, there was one thing that was never lost. Those in the theatre were always deeply superstitious about mentioning the play Macbeth's name and never referred to it as anything but the Scottish play. So, three strikes against our Mrs. Butlins, declared the doctor. And maybe a fourth, those foul and frequent farts. But you can't think her wrong and just because the lady farts like a redcoat. No, Jamie, I wouldn't, but the other evidence is very strong. Zoe told the doctor and Jamie about her conversation with the princess. The doctor nodded, carefully adding the new information to everything else they had learned so far. The key is this pendant with the ring fragment inside it, the doctor said after musing for a while. 
Clearly, it was on Luxona all these years and recently surfaced. But now it's gone again, said Jamie, recalling the discussion he had eavesdropped on. Conveniently, just when it was about to be presented to Triana, added the doctor. But Triana will be a friend to Luxona, Zoe pointed out. It's not in the interests of the Luxonians to delay her coronation. The doctor nodded. So, who would benefit then? I can think of one person, Jamie said. Her stepmother. The capital of Luxona was a city called New Manchester, which looked very much like a 19th century European city. Brick-built houses, cobbled streets, municipal squares and public parks. Zoe was amused to see that festive celebrations were in full swing. Christmas trees sparkling with tinsel and candles stood in most windows, and garlands of holly decorated many front doors. The doctor reminded his companions how many areas of earth had been settled by people of various cultures who, even when they had lived there for many generations, still held on to the traditions of their forebears. The same was apparently true of Luxona. Riding in an open-topped carriage pulled by what appeared to be unicorns, the three space-time travellers soon pulled up in front of a magnificent theatre. A Victorian playhouse! murmured the doctor. How splendid! The view inside the building was even more spectacular than the exterior. The auditorium resembled a palace with a rich red carpet, seats of polished walnut and plush purple cushions, and ornate gold statues on the walls. Despite the extravagant setting, theatre-goers could not help but focus their attention on the stage itself, Framed like a picture by its proscenium arch and lit by a complex collection of hanging lanterns and spotlights. Although Billy Butlins had hired a trio of leading actors from Cita Major, the rest of the cast was made up of locals and a stage crew had already been working hard for some time. Under Billy's slightly erratic direction, rehearsals were soon underway. As they worked through the script, which seemed to be a number of different traditional pantomimes mangled together, the doctor noticed that they had acquired an audience. The Lady Vaccine, accompanied by her small retinue, watched a comic routine between Zoe and Jamie that ended with the former pouring a bucket of cold water over the latter. The slapstick performance failed to raise so much as a smile on Vaccine's face. Billy Butlins called for the company to take five, then hurried across to assure the royal visitor that the final show would be much funnier. Jamie sat down towards the back of the stage and started drying his hair with a towel. Suddenly there was a loud crack and he was aware of something dark hurtling towards him from above. Instinctively he threw himself forward and, using the natural rake of the stage, rolled towards the footlights at the front of it. Behind him, one of the large overhead lamps crashed onto the stage, smashing into thousands of pieces. The point of impact was the exact spot where Jamie had been sitting just moments ago. With the rehearsals adjourned, the doctor, Jamie and Zoe retreated to the dressing room. How could an accident like that just happen? asked Zoe as she cleaned up a cut on Jamie's arm. I'm very much afraid that it wasn't an accident, the doctor told them. What do you mean? demanded Jamie. That sound you heard just before the lamp fell, that was a gunshot. I took a look at the rope that secured the lamp and it had been shot, clean through. Somebody tried to kill me. Jamie was horrified. But who? Why? I've an idea about the first. 
I saw one of the Queen Regent's servants going backstage just before the accident, the doctor told them. Suddenly the door opened and an enormous shadow fell over them. The show must go on, thundered Billy Butlins. It was time to get back to rehearsal. How do I look? asked the doctor a few hours later, smoothing down his costume in readiness for the final performance. Zoe and Jamie exchanged a glance. The doctor was wearing a ridiculous blonde wig, makeup, and a long ball gown stuffed with balloons to make him look vaguely female. Beautiful, lied Zoe. She was dressed in a princely tunic with red knee-high boots. Jamie thought that perhaps he was the luckiest of the three. His main role was as palace cook, and he had a simple costume of a chef's white tunic, checkered black and white trousers, and a tall chef's hat, which the doctor was eyeing jealously. I should like a hat like that, he muttered to himself. Billy Butlins hurried past. Opening positions, she announced. Curtains up in five minutes. Break a leg, everyone. That didn't sound very friendly, said Jamie indignantly, as the large woman disappeared into the wings. It's a traditional way of wishing a performer luck in the theatre, the doctor explained. Oh, there's that stench again, complained Jamie, waving a hand under his nose. It's the wrong kind of smell for wind, said Zoe, frowning. It's more like, well, bad breath. The doctor suddenly clapped his hands together. Of course, it all makes sense now. Zoe and Jamie looked at him incredulously. It does? Now, listen to me, whispered the doctor. We need to be prepared. The doctor, who was playing one of the ugly sisters, performed a comedy scene in which he forced the poor palace cook, acted by Jamie, to get messier and messier as he tried to meet the sisters' increasingly impossible demands. The audience loved it, and the doctor noted that even the Queen Regent, seated in the royal box with the princess, was laughing. Could she really be planning to steal the crown from her stepdaughter? The doctor wondered. The scene completed, the performers made their exits, Jamie to one side of the stage and the doctor into the wings on the other side. The production's costume supervisor, a cheerful blue Luxonian called Maynard, was there to meet the doctor who had a costume change before his next scene. However, instead of handing the doctor his new dress, Maynard looked around nervously, then beckoned the doctor into an alcove. I need to show you something, he began, then stopped himself, seeing someone over the doctor's shoulder. The doctor turned and saw Billy Butlins in the opposite wings, watching them carefully. Can't speak here, muttered Maynard. Meet me in your dressing room at the interval. I'll explain everything, but hold on to this for safekeeping. The Luxonian pressed something into the doctor's hand and hurried off. The doctor looked down and saw that he had been given a golden egg, one of the props that featured in the finale of the show. He popped it in his pocket. Twenty minutes later, the curtain came down for the interval. The doctor found Zoe and Jamie and told them about his mysterious encounter with Maynard. Hopefully he can explain everything said the doctor as he opened his dressing room door. Inside, though, they found the poor Luxonian lying prone on the floor, with Billy Butlin standing over him. Billy turned towards them, her face a picture of anger. When I say run, began the doctor, 
We know the drill, said Jamie, cutting him short. Not taking their eyes off the director, the trio started to back towards the door. What's she doing? asked Zoe. Billy Butlins had reached up to her forehead. She then began to unzip it. A shaft of light burst from a slit that opened up under her hairline and, impossibly, a massive green alien with jet black eyes emerged from within the human skin of Billy Butlins. Ah! It's as I guessed! She's a Raxacoricophalapatorian, said the doctor. A what? asked Jamie. I'll tell you later, replied the doctor, yanking off the pantomime dress so it wouldn't impede his escape. Run! They ran. The terrifying green monster lumbered after them, moving with surprising speed for a creature of its size. The three skidded onto the stage just as the curtain was rising for the final act. They came to a halt, slightly surprised to find the audience clapping their arrival. They looked for their pursuer, but there was no sign of the alien. We're being chased, Zoe told the audience. Has anyone seen a big green alien? It's behind you, shouted someone in the crowd, thinking this was part of the show. Jamie spun round, but there was no one there. No, it's behind you, princess, shouted the doctor, pointing towards the royal box. The alien had just appeared at the back of the box, one claw pointing directly at Princess Triana. Be careful, warned the doctor. She may have poison darts in her claws. But even as he spoke, something shot out of the end of the alien's claw. Before anyone else could move, the Queen Regent had thrown herself in front of her stepdaughter. Jamie was already using the carved decorations and drapes to climb up to the balcony. As he dropped into the royal box, he found the alien gone and Vaxine lying in the arms of her stepdaughter. She saved my life, said Triana in disbelief. Please, protect the princess, whispered Vaxine, her eyelids fluttering. We will, promised Jamie, then added, I'm sorry we doubted you. Down on the stage, the green monster suddenly reappeared before the doctor and Zoe. You've ruined my plans, screamed the alien. I shall rip everyone in this theatre apart. Doctor, starting with you. Not under my watch, you won't, the doctor turned to his companion. Time for the custard pies, Zoe. Zoe nodded and rushed into the wings, where she picked up two paper plates piled high with what looked like shaving foam. She passed one to the doctor, and they simultaneously threw them at the alien. The effect was immediate. The alien exploded in a disgusting, gooey mess. The audience rose to their feet, clapping and cheering at what they thought was a very clever stage illusion. The doctor, however, looked horrified. I was hoping the custard tarts would incapacitate her, not make her explode, the doctor said regretfully, wiping the alien slime from his face. She would have killed everyone on board, doctor, Zoe said, patting his arm. Thank goodness that hunch of yours did the trick, as I'm not sure how else we would have stopped her. I suppose so, replied the doctor, but he still looked troubled. Talking of tricks, I have a final one right here. He pulled the golden egg he had been given earlier from his pocket and banged it on the stage, cracking it open. 
From within, he extracted a familiar-looking pendant. I think this is what everyone's been looking for. The celebrations went on for days. The Doctor, Jamie and Zoe were hailed as heroes. Happily, a Luxonian doctor had miraculously found an antidote to the Raxacorico-Fallopatorian's poison, and Lady Vaccine was recovering in a local hospital. Triana had kept her promise and, in her first act as queen, she released Luxona from its obligations to pay the extortionate tax demanded by her late father. The doctor had established that the companies responsible for the violent strip mining of Luxona's natural beauty were funded by a Raxacorico-Fallopatorian family named Hanazine Slithine, who had profited handsomely from the mining operations for decades. The companies had already abandoned their equipment and left the planet. When did you realise Billy Butlins was an alien? The new queen asked the three travellers during a private audience. The doctor put his hands together and tried to look modest. Well, I had my suspicions from the moment I met her. The name she chose was not particularly convincing. And then there were the gaps in her stage knowledge. And of course, there was the matter of her malodorous gaseous eruptions. The queen looked confused. Her smelly farts, explained Jamie helpfully. Which I said smelled more like bad breath, added Zoe. Which made me think of calcium-based life forms, the doctor concluded, like those from Raxacoricophallopatorius. Say again, the Queen said. I'd rather not, if you don't mind, Your Majesty. It's a bit of a mouthful. Now, I knew that the inhabitants from that world are dangerous hunters when in their natural form, but they have a weakness. Ascetic acid. So we prepared some special custard pies laced with vinegar, said Zoe. The doctor looked grave. Unfortunately, we rather overdid it. I really didn't intend to blow her up. In doing so, you save the lives of everyone on board said the Queen. We are eternally grateful. You will stay for the grand Christmas ball tonight. It was more of an instruction than a question. Zoe and Jamie looked at each other. A bit of a knees-up sounded like a nice idea. The doctor, however, didn't look so keen. Perhaps you can perform a little skit for us as well, added the Queen, hopefully. Of course, we'd be honoured, said the doctor. We just need to pop back to collect some props from our special blue box. I had that brought here from the ship, Queen Triana told them. It's in the adjacent room. She nodded at an attendant who opened a door to reveal the TARDIS. Ah, <laughs> excellent, said the doctor. Come on then, Zoe, Jamie, lend a hand. Realising what was about to happen, Zoe and Jamie hurried after the doctor, who was already unlocking the TARDIS door. Zoe gave a little wave to the Queen as she darted inside. A moment later... The TARDIS doors closed behind them. A creaking, groaning sound filled the air. To the Queen's astonishment, the blue box began to fade from existence. After a few seconds, it had vanished completely. Well, declared the Queen, I'm not sure if the Doctor and his friends were actors after all, but they certainly know how to put on a good show. <laughs>